Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. Hey there, guys. It's just me. It's only me. Henry Zabrowski. How did I get here? Alone in a tube. I'm in a tube of sound. But now, this tube is spilling out all over your, your lap in the car. Oh, I bet you're on a long drive, too. But now you're, the front of your pants is all damp. With my sounds. Hello. Yeah. It's a best of episode. I hope you like it. It's honestly, it's a subject near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, cults. Some of our biggest series are featured here. We got Chonks from Om Shinrikyo, the Children of God series, Heaven's Gate, Charles Manson, Jim Jones, and sweet, sweet, pungent Raymond Elwood Lord Rael himself. Do you remember him? Do you remember what he did to Joplin? Do you think he's the one who's spiking all the COVID cases as well in Joplin? I think so, but I think it's just him personally breathing on people. Um, but guys, take a look at this best of episode. We're going to be back next week with so much more content. You're going to be mad at us. You're literally going to be like, why did you make this much content? Who hurt you, Henry, Marcus, and Ben? Who hurt you? Why do you have to make so much furious, intense, powerful content? And I tell you why, it's because you deserve it as a listener but this week you get a best of episode but we'll be back so take a look at this go get yourself a bowl cut chop off that set of balls of yours if you got them um because you're not going to need them and prepare to jump from a squat you're going to want to drop a tab of acid or something wait 45 minutes reload the episode and then you're really going to see what it's like to be in the brain space you need to be in so go ahead give up your will and enjoy our best of cults so by the end of 1987, Om Shinrikyo boasted a membership of over 1,500 members mm. spread across every major Japanese city. And recruiters were told to believe any and all supernatural stories in a, that a prospective member might tell them. Like they would ask them, it's like, has anything spiritual or paranormal ever happened to you? Mm. And when someone would tell them any sort of bullshit story, the uh, recruiters would say, you were most likely a trainee in a previous life. You are innately at a higher level. And if you were to just come and train with the Om Shinrikyo organization, 
your supernatural powers will increase and all of your dreams will come true. And that's also a Scientology trick as well. Yeah. I mean, what else did they have going on? <laughs> I would, I, if I'm in Japan, it's, it's the 1980s. I got nothing happening. Why wouldn't I go join this cult? I don't know. I mean, seems like a hell of a time. Yeah. Do you have a minimum amount of $700? I can't do it this week. <laughs> you know what? Isn't that? I was thinking about it, but I'll wait to levitate next year. Also, one of his head trainers was a boy that basically grew up within Om Shinrikyo. His name is Yoshihiro Inoue. And he was 18 by the time he came to, he, he became a trainer, became one of the inner circle very, very quickly. And they said that he had this ability that he'd walk in rooms and light bulbs would explode. And like 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 lights would go, all this weird shit. And he was known as like the, the, the boy that was like the poster child of being like, you too can be like me. As you see, I sit above this chair. Oh, no, no, no. Certainly not sitting on toothpicks, I am. <laughs> I am levitating. Because he walked into a room and threw a bunch of pennies at the ceiling and popped all the lights out. Now, like I said, the minimum amount to join the cult was 700 bucks with larger donations coming with gifts such as personal photo sessions with Asahara or private lessons from their leading disciples. The highest level, set at $2,000, got members two gallons of Shoko Asahara's dirty bath water. Ugh. Ugh. If you just, I want you to right now to stop the podcast and look up, look up a picture of Shoko Asahara. Yes. This man's feet. In the water <laughs> that you are going to be sucking down, and you have to go. Oh, thank you, thank you. His strands of his long dank hair, well, and you it. could do I whatever you get... wanted with it. You didn't have to drink it. You yeah. had to drink it. That's what he said. <laughs> in the end, yeah. that's what they insinuated. They're like, yeah. oh, you could just keep this around, but uh, if you drink it, sometimes it gives you a boner. Uh, I got to give him credit for just having the the uh, the ego to be like, they will buy my bath water. And they did. For two grand. <laughs> I'm going to start collecting the shower water that drips from my stomach. Uh, so that'll be about five, 5K an ounce. Oh, Kissel. There's no limit to the money I'd spend for just a thimble full of your belly drippings. You're going to get it. <laughs> Now, of course, the entrance fees were only the beginning. The early moneymaker for the cult came in the form of so-called initiations, the first of which was called the blood initiation, mm. all of which came with a bump to the initiate's quote-unquote spiritual level. Which is good. It's appealing to nerds. It's points. Yeah. Yeah. So for $7,000, as many as 30 people at a time would participate in a mass ritual in which they would all drink three spoonfuls of what was supposedly Shoko Asahara's blood from a wine glass. And that blood was supposed to give them, quote unquote, magical properties. You can throw up at any time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they never actually said what the magical properties were. Of course, that's how you do these things, that you stay vague with all of it. We saw a TV appearance, I sent it to you on YouTube, of uh, Shoko Asahara explaining how he can transfer energy into a woman and how it gives you spiritual powers and how spiritual powers are the meaning of life. He would say sentences like that that make no sense like all the time. Yeah. And so what he did was this woman lay down on the ground, he's on the news, and he was just like, I'll show you what I can do. He took his thumb, put it on her forehead, and she just went like in a porno film. <laughs> oh, I see. And just jiggled her bits a little bit, and they didn't blur any of it out, which thankfully I didn't feel like a pervert after watching it, as I feel every time I watch an Asian porno. Yeah. And she kind of just flipped around on the ground and then, and, and then popped up, and the TV announcer was like, so how do you feel? And she's like, 
I feel good. Yeah. It was just yeah. like the laying of hands. Like you've ever yeah, yeah, if you've yeah. ever been to a Foursquare or Pentecostal church or anything like that. It's just like when they lay hands on people and they start crying and talking speaking in tongues. Yeah, yeah. It's all the same bullshit. And the Catholic Church just got too large to use real blood at their uh, for communion, <laughs> so they had to switch it up to wine. It doesn't travel well. And this blood initiation, it was only the first of the twenty initiations the cult offered. The holy hair initiation involved drinking tea brewed with Asahara's hair. Oh. And Miracle Pond was, again, Asahara's used bath water. And that was sold for up to $800 a quart. I got to give this guy credit. He is his own business. Yeah. He's just farming his body. Yes. <laughs> he takes his hair. He uses his bath water. No collateral. No, cl- yeah. there's no over- there is no, no product. No overhead here. He's not making anything. <laughs> um, what's really interesting, too, is that one of his initiations, would, so we would do, again, in order to get to this inner circle, you had to have, you, the only way you could get true enlightenment was one-on-one with the guru. Yeah. And so you could spend something like $8,000 so you go and hang with him and you have this, this like, what you did not know was an LSD initiation where you would sit and share a cup of tea with Shoko and he would hand you a cup of tea and he's just like, I'm going to take you on a trip you've never even imagined. She's like, what? He begins to play Steppenwolf. <laughs> but like, mm-hmm. yeah, but literally the tea was Got laced to. with LSD. They had no idea what they were drinking. They took it and all of a sudden, like one guy Ooh. was saying about how my hands turned into rubber balls. I became incredibly confused, but I was filled with the guru's energy because yeah. the guru was just sitting there literally being like, yeah, man, don't worry, man. Let your anxiety go, bro. No, don't worry, man. Mm. Dude, roll with it. Ride with it, dude. Yeah, Every, all colors have reasons. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and he'd put his hands on their face, and he would stare directly into their eyes, which is that still same, like, cult technique right. where, you know, that worldview is narrowing. You're tripping balls, Ooh. and you're staring at this chubby man for an hour, two hours. That's how I got natal. Yeah. Fly <laughs> from your grave. So... What Asahara's sex enlightenment path was, it's a little involved. Yeah, it's a little involved, but let's get into it. First, masturbate daily for 10 days. Check. But do not ejaculate. What? Never ejaculate. Oh. I'm just saying that's not masturbation, though. <laughs> it's stroking. It's stroking. It's stroking. I just don't think it's masturbation. <laughs> you be stroking. <laughs> that's what it, That's what you should have called the right. book. You gotta be stroking. You gotta be stroking, yeah. <laughs> and then after you do that for 10 days, start masturbating twice a day. Never ejaculate. What? Do that for a week. Then do it four times a day. God. For a week. Then five. And then on the sixth week, when you are masturbating six times a day without blowing a load, that's when it's time to find a hot day. Now, what does he mean? Do you... Come but don't cut you no, eat. No, 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 you don't. Just, you just hit it a couple of times. The, you call it. You call it a masturbation, and you, and you end the process. Yeah, because no, I can get hard just by like literally touching it with my index finger. No, no, no. It's called your edge. Your what? <laughs> I thought edge. edging was when you run your teeth over the head. No, 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 no. Edging is when you like bring yourself to the almost to the point of ejaculation. Like you know, when you're like, oh, I'm coming right before you say, oh, I'm coming. That's when you stop. But I always oh, say, but, oh, that's and then why you, you s- got to put a pizza in the oven, put the oven timer for seven minutes, and then. Ooh, oh, pizza's ready. <laughs> or just just always be waiting for a package from UPS, because you pretty much know. as soon as I'm at that point fully nude from the waist down, that's when the package decides to come. Mm-hmm. You leave your shirt on? 
Yeah. No, I take I get n- fully nude. Oh, I, I got to be I got to be fully nude. There's I can't even wear it. I can't even wear socks. I feel dirtier <laughs> if I have the shirt on. No, I leave my full clothes on sometimes to just pull out the penis through the pants. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. See if I have a shirt on, I feel like a dad. I got to be ready to go just in case there's a fire in the kitchen. <laughs> I put a suit jacket on. <laughs> You treat yourself extra nice. Yeah. It's like you're taking yourself out on a date. Mm. <laughs> so, you've been masturbating six times a day for a week. After doing it, five, four, three, two, one, that's when it's time to find your hot date. Once you've convinced a woman to have sex with you. Because at this point, semen is literally dripping out of your nose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not good. <laughs> Once you have convinced a woman to have sex with you. Insert yourself into the woman as deep as possible. I normally try to do that. But do not pull out until you have performed 81 murabandas, which is a kind of penile tensing technique oh, that I could find no information That's on. just clenching your buttholes. That's, yeah, that's, that's male kegels. Uh, 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 yeah, no. do that uh, uh, 81 times. That's not that, that's not that much. I'll tell you. a woman that you do not know very well. I'll just let her know what you're up to. <laughs> just tell her, be like, hey, I'm about to do a thing. I'm trying to get superpowers. Just shut up. Just shut the fuck up. Shut up. Or shut you up, can talk up. to her. And it doesn't matter. He didn't say the woman couldn't talk. Even though you've been touching yourself six times a day daily, not coming, and you've put in you, and if you've somehow managed to not immediately ejaculate by upon sticking your penis inside this woman. Think about baseball. <laughs> I just go far, faster because of those butts. If you just take the butts out of the, take it away from the dude's head. They're nice butts. <laughs> so, <laughs> hmm. so after the Yankees! <laughs> mm, strange thing to yell when you ejaculate, Henry. Anyway. So after the 81 <laughs> Murabandas, you pump in and out nine times. Exactly nine times. Then, you do another 81 Murabandas. Then you do 18 thrusts. Then the Murabandas. Then 27 thrusts. And so on and so forth. And at some point, an out-of-body experience happens, and one supernatural power is increased. I think you just pass out. Yeah, I think the only out-of-body is the chick just leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, she's yeah. just like, I don't know what you're doing anymore. And I think your superpower is the shotgun blast of cum that comes yes. out of you that you spackle your walls with like you're a dirty version of Spider-Man. Yes, and you shoot back, you fly back, and shoot back shot in a western. Like in UHF when he's like, fire hose! What? But back at the compound a few years Years later, Asahara's view on his followers' sex life changed dramatically. Members caught having sex were made to wear dog collars and forced to walk around on their hands and feet, eating only the leftovers of other followers. Masturbation was out, earning offenders up to a week in solitary confinement. But none of this applied to the great guru, Shoko Asahara, who, like any good cult leader worth his salt, slept with as many followers as he possibly could. Well, that was actually one of the intimacy rituals. He had yeah. a thing called an intimacy ritual where he would take the newest female member Which into did, his room. Did not like. No, and he would force himself on them, and they would do it because I'm, you're becoming one with me, and a part of the way you were going to become one with me is that I'm going to do an icing mustache on your upper lip. And that was the weird thing, is I wish he didn't do it Dirty Sanchez every single time, but he yeah. said that's a part of the ritual. Kind of rude. But no, he, in, but in truth, what he was trying to do is said, I'm trying to create as many direct progeny as possible, and it's a part of the, it's not something that he wants to do, it's something that he has to do, dog meat. Yeah, I know too real. Pretty And simple. that is too real. It's too real to be denied. <laughs> and speaking of what a good cult is supposed to do, what's an intensely sexed up monster without a steady diet of illicit, harmful, and 
and mind-bending drugs. It's like a Robert Downey Jr. without a steady diet of illicit, harmful, mind-bending drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Now, almost without fail, outwardly destructive cult leaders, as the cult gets bigger and the ideas get crazier, these guys eventually developed crazy bad drug habits. See, cult leaders are like a battery that powers the entire cult, and eventually that battery runs low. And the only thing that can replace the manic energy that a person needs to run the day-to-day of an apocalyptic death cult is a steady diet of very powerful, speedy-as-fuck drugs. Well, that's like yeah. being the lead singer of um, a, a Motley Crue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need all of that. But uh, what one thing that is interesting, too, about him is that he literally was the center of the whole thing. Yeah. The whole cult was supposed to be an offshoot of his whole of his whole personality. But what I find interesting is that I don't think there is much of it. It's, it's not so much that the drugs fuel the paranoia and the theories as that the theory to the paranoia may just be fueled by the drugs. Now, while Jim Jones liked his speedballs, Shoko Asahara's drug of choice was... LSD. And Asahara said that his first trip was so strong, he wet his pants and became high. Like the highest ever. <laughs> Literally, he said that. That is a, a literal quote from him. He came high, perhaps the highest ever. Yeah, which is what I said when I was 17 when I smoked <laughs> weed for the first time behind a dumpster. Literally the same way. I'm like high. Yeah. Like the highest ever dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, like listening to track four on fucking Rage Against the Machine's Evil Empire. It's like, brie, brie, Yeah, dude. Oh, man, pork soda, dude. <laughs> fucking Primus is the best fucking band I've ever heard, dude. We listened to Queen's Ever uh, Another One Bites the Dust. Yeah, I remember That's calling so my mom and telling my mom three times that my bu- I was hanging out with my buddy Ian. And they keep saying, <laughs> you keep saying you're hanging out with Ian, man. <laughs> Hey, Ian, you're listening to the show. You remember that night we went to Walmart, we played with Hulk gloves. <laughs> oh, that is I, fun to do. It was really fun. Um, but uh, the one thing that is interesting, too, about the LSD initiations, this was the first time I've ever heard this. The people in the LSD initiations were taking so much LSD, he would make them wear diapers. Yeah. Because they were on so much LSD, they were pissing their pants. <laughs> That's I fun. I've been on a lot of acid, yeah. but I've never been on shit your pants acid. That's why you never see an outhouse at a Pink Floyd concert. <laughs> but they also said a part of what's interesting about the diaper is that they would keep the diapers. Oh, because what? he wanted to make sure if they, they didn't throw out the diapers, if the police came looking through the dumpsters. This is one of his speed ideas, <laughs> that if they went looking through the dumpsters and found the diapers, they would see the drug content in their piss and shit. Ugh. I think he wore them as little hats, too. <laughs> Now, soon, Ohm's chemical team, with the help of a book called Recreational Drugs, written by an American named Dr. Buzz, <laughs> would begin manufacturing their own acid, eventually making enough for five million hits. Dr. Buzz, I'm so glad that you saw me so quick. I mean, like, I think I threw my back out at the gym and... No. Uh, I think your big problem is, bro, is that you're not fucking groovy enough, dude. Uh, yeah. No. And it wasn't long before every member of Ohm Supreme Truth was walking around every day with a scalp full of electrodes and a brain full of acid. This is the good times. <laughs> yeah, the heady times yeah. in the 60s. This is like 1967. 
And this, combined with very little sleep and very little food, translated to a lot of industrial accidents and a lot of bodies. Because they're also dealing with chemical weapons in baby stages. Yeah. They're literally having a gigantic weapons factory next to all of this mayhem. Lots of Or in the middle of it. Or all of it's happening around it. And with all these bodies around, and since Ohm was trying as hard as they could to escape the attention of the authorities, they disposed of the bodies themselves by cremating them and unceremoniously scattering the ashes among the Mount Fuji foothills. Uh, Could be said that Shoko Asahara had kind of a thing for incinerators. He actually (laughs) invented one himself called the final cleaner, which was a device that blasted hot air through a floor of red hot sand that could reduce a human to ashes in half an hour. It that's, sounds like a product Billy Mays is trying I to literally is just what it's just like. And you would not believe the sheer power of the final cleaner. Final cleaner. I gotta say, you put a piece of cloth in there, it's like it never had wine stain on it because the cloth is also gone. Oh my god, <laughs> my hands! Who turned it on, my my goddamn hands. <laughs> and even though that sounds like a lot of fun, the incinerator that Ohm would settle on would be a refrigerator-sized device known simply as the microwave. A body would be, again, stuffed into a metal barrel, which would then be placed inside the microwave. After a short period, the body would cook, crumple, and mushify. Now, is mushify your term? Mushify is a term that I used. Mm. Yeah. And then after it would mushify, it would crust on the sides of the barrel. Ooh, kind of like a quiche. Kind of like a quiche. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you put a microwave chicken pot pie. Yeah, oh, I know it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when you put it in for way too long and it kind of sticks to it. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's when you're just in flip-flops, you're not wearing any clothes, you've been drinking for three days, and you haven't slept in two. Not even your apartment. Yeah, 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 I know it. They did that with a body. Cool. Yeah, and what they would do is they would take the metal barrel out, scrape off what was left of this human being off the sides, drop the chunks in a solution of nitric acid, and flush them down. On the toilet. They should have put it in uh, nitrous oxide and shown the kids how cold it can be and you can break it. <laughs> yeah, that, like is, that would have been good with the kids. No, yeah. no, no. The only thing they taught the kids was to admire Hitler. And by the way, Hitler was still alive. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. That's oh, what in they... This, in this canon. Oh, I yeah, was, in, in this, this world. In yeah, Argentina, he yeah. might have been still in alive. In the Ohm Shinrikyo cartoon supervillain mm. world, Hitler was still hanging out somewhere. But he was like a funny uncle. <laughs> oh, I see. Right from your grave. And by the way, there are no videos of Lord Rael. I mean, to to give you a very very quick, you can't uh, capture him on camera. Yeah, you it's can like capture the, uh, him on camera. You I can't mean, capture him. If you've ever seen the, if you've ever seen the original VHS, uh, it's the third the third short where you just can't see the guy on camera. It's all squiggle marks and digital uh, That's him, looking yeah. things. That's Rael moving around. Yeah, right. taking dumps in public. Rael, there are only two pictures of him. Mm-hmm. One is him looking majestic in front of the sea. Mm-hmm. He's got a goatee, a horrible goatee. Sure. It's photoshopped. Lo- <laughs> it's the whole a- picture is smeared Photoshop. It just right. looks like it's like who just used the with the smudge button. <laughs> all over his face for about 15 minutes. Yeah, and he's got long gray hair. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and he claims to be Lord Rael. He's actually a felon from Chicago sure. named uh, Raymond 
Raymond Elwood Howard Lear. Well, I also okay. heard is that that the Raymond Elwood is actually a fake name that he used to to fashion Rael out of yeah. because he said that Rael is some ancient Hebrew form of the word of God. Well, we'll get into uh, which Rael I think is actually in the, true in the Torah codes yeah. later on, which is a big part of Rael's claims to the throne. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a man. That's remember. how you. That's how you become God, but you claim it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, no, he has demanded it. <laughs> well, we better give it to him then. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this guy grew up in Chicago. He was part of the Guardian Angels back in the uh, 70s and 80s. That's great. Yeah. He Love ran the Guardian for, Angels. He unsuccessfully ran for mayor. And I don't know how. I mean, he only put out that seven-minute campaign video of him just like showing Blagovoyevich, whatever that guy's name is. Yeah. Like, like, just him like showing it over and over again and him being like, my name is Raymond Lear. I was born in a Chicago suburb. And it's like little like pictures of his history in, in between yeah. Blagojevich bullshit. It's like, this is horrible. <laughs> I mean, I just, I mean, it would be nice to have a mayor that has a bone room. You know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it would be kind of fun. So Lord Rael came about in 2011. He announced himself to the world on May 21st. 2011 announced himself through where else would Jesus Christ announce his return? YouTube. YouTube. Naturally. Because that's what he said also was that uh, that the the way that uh, he... Twisted some of the Bible verses, like talking about how, like the Torah would talk about there would be a web all over the world during mm-hmm. Revelations. Yeah, and he's like, "That's the internet." Think of about course, it. Jesus would yeah. use YouTube. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I also use Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, is he struggling for Twitter followers? He's. I mean, not he's got like well. he's got like five thousand. Okay, which is pretty five thousand for not, a new Jesus. Yeah. Not good for God, though. I think the Pope's got like thirty million, and he's been on Twitter for a couple of years now. Uh, He's tweeting a lot. Does he not know that you have to live tweet like main events? Like you have to live tweet the Oscars. You got to live tweet the Tonys. (laughs) The apocalypse. Yeah. You know, let us know. All right. What are you eating for breakfast, Jesus? I want you to take Instagram pictures of your abs while you're working out. That's right. (laughs) This man has no abs. He's a bit of a tubby. Mm -hmm. Um, How many YouTube hits uh, does he have? 48,000. That's nothing. On his address address to the world. Comedy Central is going to give him a sitcom. That's good. Jesus Christ returns to the world and 48,000 people see it. Well, I'm not saying 48,000 because I've watched this video about five times myself. Yeah, I've been watching it for a week since (laughs) I sent it to you. So like 22 Total people have seen this video just well, multiple times. And before we can do, uh, Henry, tell us how we came upon Lord Ryan. Okay, so I before was... we hear his address to the world, Henry was sad, looking for answers, didn't know who to turn to. <laughs> so I bought a hot dog, and I met him while he was selling the hot dog. Um, he, I was uh, listening to Coast to Coast, uh, and it was an episode where they were talking to this priest who had uh, ex- uh, like he had exercised up to one hundred and fifty thousand ghosts, which is fake. And so we, I was listening. To it and at the call in section at the end, some guy calls up and he's like, But did like you know, he's like, So do you, it was you know, George Norris is like, So do you have a question for the father? And he's just like, Uh, uh does uh, our father know the truth? Does the father know the truth? And he's mm, like, What truth? What truth? And he's like, Does he know that Jesus has already come back? That Jesus is back here on earth? And he's oh, wow. just like, What? What are you talking about? And he's just like, Go to www.ra-el.org, rael.org, go to rael.org, and you will know the truth. And then hung up the phone. Ooh. And I was like, Don't they normally screen these people? <laughs> so I was just I think like, they screen for rael type people. And by yeah. the way, do not go to just plain rael.org no. because that. 
is an alien site. Yes, it's That's R-A- a whole different guy doing alien research okay. and alien. Uh, yeah, it's R A dash E L dot org. Yeah, if okay. you go to R A E L dot org, that's a whole different website. You're not going to yeah. find the truth there. No. no. That's nonsense. No, no, no. False yeah. prophets. <laughs> oh, burn. Burn. So this guy, so I went and I just looked it up, and as soon as it popped up, I was just like, Oh, holy shit. <laughs> wow. He wasn't like, wrong. Oh, my God. And then upon re-listening to the episode and listening to his trans- like his speech that we're about to listen to, it was him. Yeah. <laughs> it was definitely he him. He called into Coast to Coast and plugged his own website. And, it's, you know, and George Norris is like, it's strange how you can do it. Some people have different ideas of the truth. You know, George Norris just every <laughs> the, man, that guy rolls with anything, doesn't he? He's amazing. He's an, he's an entertainer. I love yeah. George Norris. I was like, talk, someone I, I knew, I, someone I know was talking shit about George Norris, and I like got in his face, and I was like, George Norris has been entertaining millions of people for years. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's a vaudeville. Slowly villain. walk away from the fat, scary man. Slowly. Make a, do not break eye contact with him. And I went but, to the, you know, Jesus is nothing if not a self-promoter. Yeah. You know? Gotta I went be. to the Lord Ryle uh, Facebook page, which, by the way, I am a member of the congregation. You, you made it. Hey, Ryel. Oh, that's great. Thank you, Ryel, well, for your release. Now, uh, <laughs> I, I, got a, uh, I asked to join the group last uh-huh. night. And today, I woke up to a confirmation that I am officially a member of the congregation. How of many Lord members Ryle. of the Facebook page are there? Uh, one thousand two hundred ninety-nine, including me. That wow! Is, that is almost number thirteen hundred. I was almost thirteen hundred. You look different. And I different. got a very nice welcome from. I got a a, a personal message from priest R.J. Davidson, who ah. sent me a welcome video. Which is just kind of did an old sh- man. Did he send you a picture of his nut lift? <laughs> no, 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 not yet. Just, and the thing is, he seems like a very sweet old man. Sure. He's, hey, you want to see my Oscar the Grouch? <laughs> <laughs> just, just I balls. hate that you call your balls Oscar the Grouch. That is gross. They actually seem really happy, which is kind of a bizarre sort of... And he's, he's dressed in uh, a priest outfit, and he's obviously in a really shitty apartment that's right next to the highway. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you can hear cars going by constantly. Right. And he's just kind of... He keeps Stumbling over his words, and you can tell it's like his. Jesus is looking for a new apartment next to a park somewhere for a good school for my future children. And I got like four welcome messages. You know, priest R.J. Davidson said welcome. Another guy said welcome. Marcus Parks, smiley face. Oh, that's oh. nice. Another one said welcome! Exclamation point. And another one said welcome, Marcus Parks, smiley face, namaste. We should take a bunch of pictures of my naked tits and put them all over the website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no! Intruder alert, intruder alert. Big. Breast, hairy. From your this podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on 
hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders. I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Mr. Hamburglar. Bravo, bravo. He said, of all the McDonald's burgers I've ever hamburgled, these are the hottest, juiciest, and tastiest. Probable. Hurry in and enjoy one of our 350 bundles, like a daily double and small fries for a limited time. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any of the offer comparison to prior classic burgers. Now, the founder of the Children of God, David Berg, was just another in a long line of people who either belonged to or were leaders of fringe Christian sects. Berg's earliest ancestors in America were a trio of Jews who converted to a Mennonite sect known as the Dunkers, so named because they preferred to nearly drown their congregants during baptism. Also, not to not to completely interrupt, but have you ever had an apple cider donut made by the Amish community? <laughs> Only good oh. thing they do. And, and furniture as well. Furniture yeah. as well, and quilts. Oh, <laughs> oh. Hand of God. <laughs> I have to say, I just had a terrible flashback. Of course, I grew up evangelical. We know that. I got dipped in, uh, I believe it was Iverson or Jordan Park, and I was so fat, I wore the white shirt because I was like, they're never going to see my boobs now. And I got dumped by Pastor Matt. I come out of the water. They laughed at me. Yeah. They laughed at my boobs. And you know when you wear the shirt, your belly button becomes larger than it actually yeah. is. Uh-huh. It looks like you can go spelunking in it. And they laughed at yeah. me. Oh, yeah. yeah. All the fat kids tried that. We call that the swimming pool fat. Fallacy. I did that throughout my whole. I told that story before about how I used to wear the shirt in the pool and then they used to make fun of me relentlessly and then they pulled me in the shower and stripped me nude and all made fun of my penis. (laughs) And that's how Henry Zabrowski knew he wanted to be president one day. But um, it's also David Berg's grandparents when they so they chose the hard way from the very beginning. He said his grandfather was known as like a fighter mm-hmm. that they would literally go as these Jewish guys now Mennonites from mm-hmm. from Jewish to Amish. Now they're living in America and they're literally just going places and fighting people in the street. And he said that they had no idea what they were doing like religiously, but they made a shit ton of money. And David Berg put it because his grandfather was a Jew all the way to the end. <laughs> David Berg is a great man. You're, you guys are really gonna love David Berg as we go through these episodes. Yeah, and Berg's grandfather, John Lincoln Brandt, was a Campbellite, which was a movement that looked to return the church to a purer time before established church doctrine, avoiding what they called, quote, churchianity. Huh, that's an interesting term. I kind of like it. Yeah, churchianity meaning uh, that they are more beholden to the church than they are to the word of God. 
Yeah, their big fancy church talk where they don't have sex with their children and don't have <laughs> sex with their sisters and brothers. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I sort of took it the other way. I thought they would be against the institution, but pro only the biblical word. Yeah, that's so exactly what they oh, are. that is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, they're totally. doing the flip reverse of biblical words so deep that even Jesus Christ is just like, I'm going to kill myself again. I'm going to come back just to kill myself again just so that you guys can get a bit of a redo because there's some kind of – you guys are going off the fucking campus here. But then when you actually do read the Bible, everything – you can pick out some very creepy passages, and I would think Jesus must have a, a quite a few Stephen Urkel moments. <laughs> Did I do that? He's like, why are you having sex with your niece? Right here, sir. It says you can. He's Did I do right that? Now, just- He's just in heaven right now, fucking the hole in his hand over and over again. Uh, Berg's mother, Virginia Brandt, was a radio evangelist and traveling preacher who made her name during the Pentecostal revival that took hold during the early part of the 20th century, which was big on fire and brimstone, speaking in tongues, laying of hands, what they called old-time religion. Hmm. But it's interesting because this was like newfangled at the time. This was like the hip quote-unquote hipster religion where they were putting a lot of passion and intensity into mm-hmm. Christianity and also ladles and ladles of horseshit. <laughs> right. Yeah, Virginia's hook came from an accident she supposedly had in which she was thrown from a horse and buggy, broke her back, and was bedridden for five years. And one day, miraculously and without explanation, she rose from her bed cured and was thenceforth known as the miracle woman telling her tale of divine healing. And she took her story, which she called From Deathbed to Pulpit, and became one of America's first female evangelists and hosted a fairly popular radio show that she called Meditation Moments. I mean, she definitely made the best out of a terrible situation. Why couldn't James Caan do the same thing from the film Misery, you know? I mean, he was just lying there like a whiny uh, ass. Well, the only problem was is that was all bullshit. Uh, none of that happened. Yeah, that didn't none happen. of it happened. Years later, one of David Berg's daughters revealed that during the time she was supposedly bedridden, she was actually down in Fort Worth attending Texas Christian University. Which is actually a more inspiring story. She was in college getting her master's degree, but the problem was that she was having a child at the time that went on to disown them Mm -hmm. because she did. She grew up like basically immediately became an atheist, like some kids do, and saw through all of their horseshit. Was like, "What are you guys talking about?" And they kind of exercised her from the family. So she used that story to cover up. That whole birth of a child. Yeah. Well, she didn't just use it that. I mean, David Burke, mm-hmm. I mean, in other words, justifying a lie in order to get people to believe in Jesus's word, that was in Berg's DNA. I mean, these people are no different from Bigfoot hunters who fake dead Bigfoot bodies because they know in their hearts that Bigfoot is real. They absolutely right. know that Bigfoot is real, but they don't have any real proof. So they make some shit up to get people halfway there. And if the ends justify the means, it's all okay. Exactly. Now, David Berg's father, his name was Hjelmer Berg. What was that? Hjelmer Berg. I'm sorry, Hjel- what? <laughs> Hjelmer Berg? Hjelmer Berg. His first name was Hjelmer, last name Berg. Is he a talking couch from Pee Wee's Playhouse? <laughs> it does sound like it. Hjelmer Berg. He does sound like a piece of furniture from Ikea that has come to life. It does. <laughs> he was a poor Swedish immigrant who, before coming to America, made extra money during the Swedish summers performing musical numbers and acrobatic routines in a wandering minstrel show. Now, this is going to be one of your racist minstrel shows. This show is going to be lots of kicking and dancing and 
you jumping and oof, it seems my trousers have fallen around me ankles. Oof, is there a child who's giving it a sucky suck? Oh no, no, Jalmer, I slapped my own hand. Slap my hand, must not eat here, Jalmer. And that is if Charles Ng was born a Swedish man. I don't know how to do a Swedish accent. And what I, I will love say it. Is now that we're in the world of just Sweden, I'm allowed to do it. Oh, no Swiss Swedish bullshit connected to it. It is Jorn of Jorn and Hjalmar, standing tall and blonde, who said to have a beautiful tenor singing voice, did nothing to stop anyone from hurting anyone. Ah. <laughs> See, now, we talk a lot here about the perfect serial killer soup. For example, Henry Lee Lucas was created by a terrible childhood with an abusive mother, an already broken mind made worse by exposure to brain-rotting chemicals, and the ease of passage of a drifter lifestyle. Now, you're really selling it, Marcus. And I actually want that. (laughs) At this point in time, I want that. (laughs) Better than split pea, I'll tell you that. So when you combine David Byrd's ancestry with the first 50 years of his life as a failed charismatic preacher and add in the naivete of the hippie movement, David Byrd was the product of a perfect cult leader soup. It's very interesting how we see that that, that's true, that there are a certain number of factors that completely work out for a cult leader. And a part of it's having a period of time with a lot of the shit going on. And now what we know is that it was in the 1920s in America, the 1960s in America, and then also with the 70s, 80s in Japan, right? They're the perfect fertile time for people that have lost themselves. They're a part of a new generation. They're looking for somebody to talk to. And all of these weird side religions are getting mixed together. And that's where someone like David Berg, who's not necessarily great on detail work, but great on broad strokes, <laughs> is right. good at taking a bunch of religions and smashing them together and have you allow you to have sex with your children. It is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, my parents, uh, they, they turned to Daystar. That was their Christian cult. They were all over the place. And the irony is it was the children. This was their rebellion against their evangelical or Baptist whatever parents. Oh, yeah. And we'll definitely get into the whole rebellion part of it. Now, as far as David Burke himself goes, he was born in Oakland, California on February 18th, 1919. In a letter to a friend of hers, Virginia said about baby David... At first, he was a fat and robust little fellow, but I overfed him. I had such a quantity of milk, and he developed bowel trouble. Oh. <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Zabrowski? No, I told you my thing. I, cu- I couldn't suck a lot of my mother's tit because I had weak cheek muscles. Right, like, a, like a little piggy. <laughs> I had to drink. My mom had to milk herself into a cup, and I'd have to drink it out of a straw. Oh, they thought I, I was going to die of malnourishment. Oh, I think a, if I was a doctor, I would have said, Mr. Zabrowski, you just have the world's fanciest boy. <laughs> Only out of a cup will do. I'll have it in a highball glass. Thank you. <laughs> and don't be slow about it. A little spank for you. Here's a dollar. I found it in my diaper. (laughs) Now, the reason for writing the bowel trouble letter was that Virginia was claiming that a faith healing had taken place here. She said a local healer had come to see the constipated baby, done his work, and the very next morning, David had his first natural bowel movement since his breast milk-induced sickness began. Nothing would please me more to go back to childhood where I'd be praying for taking shits again. Oh, you know? my God. It was so nice. Is there a chance this person just accidentally sat on David and then he shat and he's like, he's been cured? Just rolled him back and forth on top of, like, a pizza tray? Yeah. <laughs> Looks like we made a Tootsie Roll. Congratulations, David. 
Uh, it wasn't until after David was born that his family threw in with the Pentecostals, which in the 20s was just starting to gain steam. Now, Pentecostals, for those of you who don't know, are the snake handlers, the faith healers, the tongue speakers. These are the people that really, really get into it. And have either one of you guys ever been to like a Pentecostal or Foursquare church or anything Dude, like that? I got kicked out of uh, Christian school in third grade because I couldn't speak in tongues, and that was an early indication about how I wouldn't be able to improvise, and uh, it really <laughs> made me, uh, you know, uh, not do well at the People's Improv Theater during those classes. It was t- horrific. I mean, t- speaking in tongues, all you have to do is like the... the yeah, oh, you hit a couple of triple Bs in there too, man. You are good. <laughs> You should hear me in traffic. I feel like when I'm driving in L.A. and I'm alone, I go, God, fuck, God, I have driven in traffic in L.A. with Henry many times for many hours, and the things that I heard could end his career. Yes. Yes. from your grave. Well, out of all the cults that made headlines in the late 20th century, perhaps the most misunderstood is the one that came to popularly be known as Heaven's Gate. The story goes that in 1997, on March 19th and 20th, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult committed mass ritual suicide dressed in identical uniforms and covered in purple shrouds, doing so under the direct orders of their castrated leader, Marshall Applewhite. Do you guys have to mention castrated every time you mention my name? Is that just (laughs) like literally the first fact? We can't talk about my beautiful blue eyes or my wonderful taste in Nike Decades, which are actually kind of fresh. No, those are are pretty cool shoes there, buddy, but uh, you you don't got a dick, right? I have a flappy, but I don't have the bing bongs. <laughs> okay, okay, just check it. No, they're misunderstood, but under, like, it's not their fault that they're misunderstood, almost, because they really tried to explain themselves afterwards with a dump of information that came out after they had committed suicide. Mm. Yeah, and they were okay with messaging. And, well, in fact, like, you know, speaking of being misunderstood, you've already put a misunderstanding out there oh by God. saying that Marshall Applewhite demanded that they castrate themselves he, when, in fact, he did not demand that they castrate themselves and only six of them actually castrated themselves. There's a lot of misinformation when it my, comes to Heaven's Gate. My hands are on my hips, shaking my head, Mr. Zabrowski. And you know what I'm doing? I'm shaving the carrot. I see it. You are wrists deep into your love handles. <laughs> but I will say, I'm not going to say he demanded. But he hinted. He hinted. No, he hinted. He said, you can do this. You could I'm, if I'm you gonna wanted do this. to. I'm going to do this. You can if you want to. But Marshall Applewhite never demanded anything of anyone. Suggestions. Well, it was said that the point of this mass suicide was to hitch a ride on a spacecraft flying in tandem with the Hale-Bopp comet that was passing by Earth. But in order to do so, they had to leave behind their human Vehicles. Ah, so you're like Subaru and your uh, your <laughs> yeah. Toyota, your Rav Fours. Yeah. yeah, when I look at myself, I call myself more of like a Hyundai Grunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is definitely a Subaru Outback crowd, if you know what I mean. Of course, a little granola. Yeah. Well, soon after the bodies were found, it was discovered that this cult had laid out their entire belief structure on a website, Heavensgate.com, and thus they were dubbed the first internet cult. Ooh. Or, that's the way the story has been portrayed. Hmm. While that summation is close, 
The story of Heaven's Gate is far more complicated than what it was boiled down to be in CNN soundbites and snarky late-night monologues. Hold on a second. Are you telling me a castrated cult that wants to hail Bop in order to go to heaven on the orders of Mr. White? Head, whatever, white side, <laughs> white gate, white apple, absorbed a single apple fat. white, white nipple, whatever his name is, is complicated. <laughs> but it's true. Jay Leno is not going oh to understand a lot of the complexities of the inner workings of this group, no. as we're going to find, especially if you even attempt to watch any of what they call their exit materials. I'm in it about three hours deep into the Beyond Human class right now. And I got to say, number one, if you have a hard time falling asleep, it is great. <laughs> what I'm over that. I'm a little bit concerned about studying another cult because, as we know, Marcus Henry is slowly slipping down the cult train, uh, cult the the cult slide, and every cult seems to reaffirm your love for what you now call LRH. LRH. You literally said yesterday you're like LR L. Ron Hubbard was like a lot better than Applewhite. It's just like you're ranking them now, and it's really scary. You already were, you're teeing me up because my number two was never have I been a more of an, almost an adherent to the teaching styling mm-hmm. of LRH. And the fact that if you listen to his tapes, and that is true, if you listen to the audio of him, he throws some jokes in there. Mm. He's super funny. Right. He's kind of, he zips, zap, and zopping. There's some presentation. He's right. got a good uniform on. Hey, Applewhite throws some jokes in there too, all right? He may not be as snappy and he may not be as polished as your LRH, but Applewhite has his points as well. He yeah. looks and acts like if Jeff Sessions worked at Michael's. <laughs> <laughs> well, he knows what's in every aisle. He has a quilting group sense of humor. Well, it's, it's kind of funny. From your grave. So, to nip a potential insurrection in the bud, Applewhite and Nettles clarified that all of the information from the next level, uh-huh. from heaven, was channeled through a, quote, chain of mind. Information flowed from the next level to Nettles first. Then, it flowed from Nettles to Applewhite. And then, it went from Applewhite to to everybody else. Ah. Yeah, you're living it. It's a tease world. No, just living in it. Yeah. Oh, I got on me. I got a grilled chicken sandwich stuck inside my belly button. Oh. I guess it must be God's will then for y'all. I'll eat it, Miss Nettle. Bonnie Sidebar, we should talk about some of these messages you received before we meet with the class. So, So after Applewhite and Nettles put everyone in their place, the real purpose for the Wyoming rendezvous was revealed. It was finally time to begin preparations for life in space! In order to prepare, Tian Do instituted a wildly strict program of self-denial and discipline, which they called... The process. Hmm. And the foundation of this program was abstention from so called vices and human attachments. Naturally, there was no drug use, no beer drinking, no cigarette smoking, but members also had to give up material possessions, relationships with family and friends, and especially sex. So it's a no fun cult at this point. No, I mean, it depends on what your definition of fun is, sir. None of those things. <laughs> you gotta have at least one of those. But one of the things I find interesting about the abstention rules is that although most of the things Applewhite and Nettles banned lied firmly in the sinful sphere, they never, to the best of my knowledge, actually used the word sin. Huh. 
Applewhite and Nettles were not guilt-tripping their adherents. Instead, all of this was framed as a choice. If you wanted to be a part of the group that went to heaven on a spaceship, right. abstention was necessary. If not, you could take your chances on Earth with the Luciferians. My question is, though, right? Like, this is the vessel. Are we to the point now where the full body goes into the spacecraft? or yes, are, yes. So we're still in the full body. Totally. Because, okay, because otherwise this is a rental, and what do you do with rentals? You Smoke light them on it. fire, you smoke <laughs> yeah, in take it. take a shit in it, <laughs> rub a hamburger all over the seats. Yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. you want to do. Absolutely, because when I'm in a rental, the way I find parking is that I just nudge various <laughs> bumpers of cars until I get to the spot. But you say that they were not guilt-tripping their adherence, right? And, but as well, I'll talk a little bit more. As I, I watched a lot of footage of Marshall Applewhite speaking, and and guilt-tripping, it's it's weird. It, it, their punishment system was more inherent in their their very the very bottom of their entire belief scenario, where. It's it's this idea of yeah sure yeah reject the ultimate truth if that's what you want sure yeah 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 I'm in touch with the ultimate truth and it leads to pure bliss and uh, anybody that doesn't believe us is a part of the problem that is driving the earth into be which will eventually you know it will be spaded over and right now it's all cute and I'm not saying what I what I'm I really mean which is I do believe that like a race of robots will unleash uh, a field of death on this world when we all after we all depart but I'm not gonna say that but you I mean sure leave. Yeah, you, you leave. Wait a do, second. Do whatever you want. Yeah, Yo, yeah, be, man. Be the rest of your life. Yo, dude, you said all of that out loud. And that was, <laughs> what? Like, what did you say about the robots? It's these cue cards. I got to stop reading these cue cards. Damn. Well, for Heaven's Gate, Earth was actually a cosmic classroom where living beings had to prove themselves worthy of the next level by avoiding and overcoming the temptations laid out by the Luciferians. Hmm. But the Luciferians weren't trying to tempt you in order to lure you into the flames of hell. Because we're already in hell. <gasps> this Earth. is hell? Uh, well, it's hell or purgatory, depending on how well you live your life. You can get to purgatory if you're lucky, but the point of temptation is to keep us here. That's why we have chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because but, they try. They, chicken nuggets are supposed to keep us here, right. wallowing in this purgatory of beer and seeing my wife's beautiful breasts and and going on vacation and playing video games and, and ha laughing with my friends all this disgusting shit that i have to deal with all the time but those are fun things to do that's hell my friend that's, that's hell, hell. Yeah, yeah that's hell that's I thought hell was like living like elbert fish but without the erection <laughs> <laughs> nope that's absolute hell there's oh, that's uh, just everyday life is hell or purgatory okay so the best we can do is break even best we can do is break even. That's or, why I like gambling. Actually, the best we can do is to reach the next evolutionary level above human. That's the best you can do. But that's no fun. Yep. Yep. Okay. You got to give it up all. But think about how happy you'll be, Kissel. I wouldn't be happy. <laughs> can you? I can just see seeing Kissel standing amongst the the ascended masters as he's just <laughs> uh, kind of bumble around, be like, "You guys uh, see the Packers game? I'm sorry, that was an attachment." As an attachment to, I guess. Um, you guys see that wrestling match, and I think that Cherokee man he hit the uh, grave man with the with the chair. Ah, oh, well, that's an attachment, huh? That's a 1992 <laughs> reference to Tatanka and the Undertaker. But good, that was that's an A for effort, my friend. It is A for effort. But according to Heaven's Gate, Earth was not a place in which to get comfortable or to stay. Earth was a test to see if you were worthy of heaven. In other words. 
All of this bullshit, every part of Heaven's Gate is just Christianity dressed up in aliens' clothing. Okay. It's all the same rules. It's all the same. You, all, all you get to the same place eventually, but it's just, you know, aliens. Okay. I mean, it makes it more exciting. It's a good twist. Yeah. So see and the- if you attempt to read the book by Sawyer, uh, by the title by which that will not be named, because uh. we already devoted three minutes to that title last episode, <laughs> yep. if you look at it, it has over 800 pages of the scriptural passages, all the scripture shit that they used as literal examples of why they, everything they said was correct. So they used the Bible as an entire source book it was the only it was the only thing that they were allowed essentially to read especially by the end where they were using it mining for reasons why everything that they said was right hmm. see the whole point of abstaining and resisting the luciferians was to emulate those on the next level because after all that was the evolutionary level above human and human attachments kept you from reaching that level as such, members who planned on coming to the Wyoming camp in 1976 were told in advance to be prepared for a Spartan existence. The invite letter said, quote, If you are ready to go, you will need a car, a tent, a warm sleeping bag, a stove, at least two changes of winter clothing and two for warmer weather, eating and cooking utensils, and whatever money you can bring. That is literally the exact thing that everyone plans for to go to Bonnaroo. <laughs> that is what that's what every friend is like. You better bring all of that stuff. Yeah. Because Lady Gaga's performing at midnight, but she'll be late. <laughs> so we need to make sure we take the drugs right at eleven fifty five. It takes twenty five minutes for them to kick in. By the time she starts singing, I don't even know a famous Lady Gaga song. Uh poker face. Poker face. Poker face will be blooming. <laughs> this is from nineteen ninety nine. Uh-huh. I'm pretty certain that this is from like twenty five years ago. <laughs> Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Save big Legend has it, underneath the NJM insurance offices lies a room of rejected mascot memorabilia. Is it real? No one knows. But we do know NJM is proud to put policyholders first. No jingles or mascots, just great insurance. NJM. People think the new fresh fragrances from Glade are fresher than fresh, like artist Angela. go on a journey to the pier by the sea. Take a small vacation, dance under sun-soaked trees. All right, so we're going to start this episode with something happy. We're going to start yeah. with the birth. We're going to start with the birth. Is it happy? <laughs> was the birth in a bus by any chance? Because then it's not a happy the birth. The birth was in a condemned house in Topanga Canyon. Uh, it was Charlie Manson's second child, uh, a little boy named Valentine Michael, nicknamed Pooh Bear. 
That's actually the exact name of somebody that was just born in Park Slope. <laughs> so that's not so bad. Park Slope, Brooklyn. That's Gwyneth Paltrow's seventh child. Yes. <laughs> and it's said that Charlie bit the umbilical cord himself. I'm sure that he did. He's a weird <laughs> sure, yeah. doctor. No, but again, he's just like, because I. it sounds like a maniac thing, but it's him just going like, ah, uh, with a knife. Ah, scissor. Oh, we lost all the scissors. Oh, and the scissor party. We had that scissor toss party. <laughs> that's all right. right. Now, where's it? I'm just going to use God scissors. My own teeth, Mary. I need you to just bear with me for a second. I'm going to be a father, Mary. <laughs> That's not so bad, though. A lot of people eat the umbilical cord. It's good. It's got some good vitamins in there. Yeah. It's mostly dookie. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's fun. a lot of juices, and right, various right. things around there. It's that you a don't shit want too. In your mouth. It yeah. is a shit too. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a shit too. So it's around this time that the Manson family they finally find their home in Spawn Ranch. Uh, Ooh, man. And here's a little song that Charlie sang about there. I can your feel my bush hair getting longer. This is Charlie Manson's music, by the way. song Satellite. This sounds just like Dave Matthews Band. It does. I was going to say the the lyrics are reminiscent to a Gavin Rosdale's Bush. It really is. In that they make no, no fucking sense. sense. I don't know. I'm going to go on record here and I'm going to say that there are a lot of Charlie Manson songs that I like. Marcus has been listening to right. the album for the last two weeks. Yeah, Lie, The Love and Terror Called. I've listened to it no less than seven times over the last, uh, I don't know, week or so. Mm-hmm. He's got a good voice. He's got a Real good voice. Mm. Some of his songs are, you know, pretty catchy. It's not a whole lot different than what you're going to find in California in 1968. No, I mean, if you're tripping nuts on acid, you've got this little wiry, weird dude singing that song around a campfire talking about death and murder every time he stops playing guitar. I mean, that's a hell of a night. Yeah, I'm going to start thinking about that all the time and just being like, you know what, Charlie... He does a pretty catchy tune. Pretty great. Pretty great. He's like the only musician that you want to hear speak as opposed to actually play the music. I know. Yeah. I think about all the years I spent doing mushrooms heavily enough. Dog shit music I was into. And yep. I was playing tambourines <laughs> around just being like, they're going to be like, we're going to change the world tonight. You know, just imagine that over nine months. Yeah. And then right. eventually start killing pregnant women. Sure. You can even uh, argue that the Manson family were in reality just super fans. Yes. Right. They loved Manson. Not only were they super fans, but they were also a part of his musical journey, which we'll get into uh, here in just a little bit. But before we get to that, we have to talk about Spawn Ranch a little bit. Now, yeah. Spawn Ranch was the main base of operations for the Manson family. Sandra Good, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. Sandy Blue, knew a mechanic at Spawn Ranch, and the mechanic put them in contact with 80-year-old George Spawn. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Spawn Ranch, uh, it was mostly used as a movie. Movie set for old westerns. They used it in episodes of Bonanza, The Lone Ranger, wow. uh, Zorro. Uh, in exchange for simple labor, such as taking care of the horses, cleaning George's house, cooking, and having Squeaky fuck him every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. And the way he presented, like them even getting the Spawn Ranch, is that Manson showed up with two of the two of his Front Street girls, mm-hmm. right? And he, you know, he made sure you know, like leave the bras at home, girls. Yeah. And they <laughs> yeah, walked yeah. over there, and they like they basically showed up. George Spawn supposed to be blind, and like. 
of Charles Manson. It's like, it's like I heard the man was blind, but he was reaching out and shaking hands like he had fine old-fashioned eyeballs. <laughs> but I knew something. for the fact that he's, uh, I was like, but then later on when I watched him tripped over a rock, I knew then that he was in fact blind. He was <laughs> but, knew, but he was like talking about how George Bond would come up and like grip their shoulders and stuff and like yeah. play with their women's arms. And he's like, I can tell you that he, he's going for a little squeezy sport right there. So I sent him to my fine young yeah. redhead and she gave him a tug of rub. And guess next thing I know, we got a sweet spot in our own spot of heaven. Tug of rub. That's not bad. This guy was 80 years old. 80 years old. And he was yeah. still getting hard, huh? Yeah, still getting hard. Before still fucking Viagra, before the GMOs have been putting our goddamn food, ruining our goddamn bones. <laughs> and Manson said that he never made Squeaky fuck George. He said that the reason why Squeaky right. fucked George was so she could have the comforts of living in the main ranch house instead right. of in uh, the, I guess they were called the outlaw cabins. Honestly, and if you yeah. think about the the, the, uh, the main group is literally sleeping on top of each other, a bunch of rugs, they're covered in chiggers. Never did they, they <laughs> talk about, no, when like when one person got the clap, they don't know who all gave each other the clap and yeah, then they all everyone. have the clap. Yep. I think Squeaky made the right choice. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you just have to suck an 80-year-old man's dick so you can get a bedroom. Right. The 80-year-old farmer, though. Oh, he's probably in good shape, harvesting the land his whole life. I don't know. He's a movie know. farmer. Yeah, this that's is true. Not, he's not a real farmer. This yeah. is a movie set. It's Spawn Ranch. I mean, Spawn <laughs> yeah. Ranch does sound like the kind of place you have to, like, gurgled cum just to enter. <laughs> well, they got horses. And, oh, yeah. by the oh way, well, no one had sex with the horses, right? By the way, if you guys want to see the most adorable thing that you've <laughs> okay. ever seen in your life, look for a picture of Charles Manson on a horse. He's so adorable. He's, he's tiny. He's the tiniest yeah. man. He's 5'4". Like, yeah. he was a tiny, tiny little man. He looks like a child at a birthday party. <laughs> he must have been so scared on top of that horse. God, just <laughs> trying to keep it together. If I fall off this horse, they're never going to trust me as their lord and savior. Yeah, come on, horse. <laughs> this horse is it's covered in, in butter. It's always covered in butter. You know who did it, man? It was the man coming it down on me, covering all my horses in slick olive oil, so I fall right off them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so us here, through our research, what we found. But do you think that he probably told someone to butter the horse the night before? <laughs> hey, I'm going there. Butter the horse. Yeah. Uh, just but, tripping. but why, Charlie? Why? Don't ask me why. <laughs> the next morning at breakfast, what happened to all the butter? I don't know. I'm going on the horse. <laughs> well, I go ride that horse over there, and it better be good and grippy because I'm going to be riding it all over the canyon. Uh, that's where the butter was. <laughs> I got to write down my command that I give after <laughs> 1 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta write them down. I'm gonna give them a squeaky. I'm gonna say, squeaky, you hold on to this until 6 a.m. And then and it's you 6 let me know everything I agreed to the night before. <laughs> and then at 6 a.m., we're gonna decide whether it's a good idea or not. Honestly, Manson, in his own words, has given me a great deal. I'm, I am now in Marcus's team. I have a great deal of sympathy for Charles Manson. Yeah. I just think the man was a stupid criminal. The yes. man is basically Damon Wayans' character from Mo Money. You know what I mean? It's like he's that like character of just like he's just like mo money. It's just all about like he thinks he's this slick criminal, but actually right. he's an idiot. And next thing you know, he has this gaggle of drug crazed freaks all around him. Well, with uh, Manson, yeah. we can take it back to Gary Ridgway. Gary Ridgway, as we discussed, was adult. 
He was an mm-hmm. idiot, you know, as far as, you know, normal society went. But he was really fucking good at one thing. He yes. was really good at killing prostitutes. And Charles, Charles Manson, Manson is really good at eating pussy. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, uh, White and, and I will also probably put on record that Charles Manson's the only serial killer that knew where the clitoris was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Charles Manson, Maybe. what he was good at was manipulating people. Yes. Because as we said in the last episode, he spent from the years of 12 to 19 in prison, and then he spent from 21 to 26 in prison as well. So Charles Manson, little guy, the only way this guy is going to survive in these horrific environments is if he learns how to talk. Crazier and faster and uh, than everybody else. He's got he's to yeah. sh- play a big game. Yeah. And so now we're going to watch yeah. we're going to watch a game escalate. Yeah. yeah. The, it gets even bigger when he meets Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. No, I love the right. two different sides of this story. Yeah. Yeah, there's two. De- Dennis Wilson, he was the drummer of the Beach Boys. He was uh, Brian Wilson's brother, of course. Brian Wilson, the genius behind Pet Sounds, Smile, all that type of stuff. Uh, Wilson was. He a, was the least talented member of the Wilson by family. Far the least right. talented member of the. I mean, he was the fuck up. He was the party guy. He was the guy that liked to fuck all the time. Yeah. And Brian Wilson's insane, right? He's, yes. He's yes. Crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian so Wilson's like, absolutely. Insane. I'm sure the Beach Boys management were like, we already got one <laughs> Wilson that's hard to deal with, but he's a fucking genius. We yeah. can't deal with this other one. So they would just basically let Dennis Wilson disappear for months while they were making pet sounds. Yeah, right. exactly. Uh, so Dennis Wilson, of course, liked to fuck a lot. He's driving down the highway one day, and he sees a couple of mildly attractive women walking down the road. So Manson he, attractive. Man- <laughs> yeah. Manson attractive women. Mansome. Yep, and uh, one of the women... <laughs> Manson. Yeah. yeah. Then one of the women, has uh, she drifted away from the family soon afterwards, but one of the others was... Big Patty Patricia Krenwinkel. Ooh, yeah. Oh, and this is perfect for Dennis Wilson. Yeah, they don't, they don't let me record no music anymore, but Big Patty, you understand what I'm talking about, right? They call him a quarter pounder at the ranch. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, but it, so, so there are two different versions of the story. Yeah. One is that Dennis Wilson met these two girls. They bring them back to his house. They started fucking. They're like, you gotta meet God. You gotta meet Jesus. You gotta meet our, our friend Charlie. And he's just like, yeah, bring Charlie over. Mm. And then, yeah, whatever you're gonna do, and so they bring Charles Manson and the whole gaggle over to Dennis Wilson's While man. Dennis Wilson is recording. Yes. Like, he leaves the house and he comes back at right. 3 a.m. And so he comes, but this is Dennis Wilson's side of the story. Manson and his whole coterie show up at the mansion and take over the whole fucking thing. And basically, uses money, hang out, they all fuck and they have drugs, they do drugs and they do all this stuff, but basically right. they're a massive leech. Um, but then if you listen to Manson in his own words, Manson's like, I met this cool cat named Dennis Wilson at a freakout party. We we did it. They always say the term we did a joint. Yeah, like, we did a joint at each mm-hmm. other. And then next, you know, we were rapping about music and, uh, and we were on the same trip, man. Me and him, just like we knew. It was just like, yeah, he was a beach boy, but me, man, I'm coming. Up, I'm a wizard from the desert. He's just like, yo, Charlie, you a real wizard of the desert. And I was like, you all with Dennis Wilson. You've always been right. And you've always been my friend. And then he's like, Dennis Wilson invited me to his home, right. and I went over there, and yes, we spent all his money. And yes, we ate all his food. And yes, we gave the dogs of the house body chiggers from from Sadie. All right, sure. but he never asked us to leave until he asked us to leave. Then you gotta go for sure. When Dennis asked you to go, you gotta go. Yeah, but mm. Dennis was still he was a little bit enamored with him. Him and Charlie actually became fairly good friends. Well, it's because I mean, again, you're just getting they're blow yeah. and drugs. There's right. so much. There's so much drugs. There's so much sex happening. You get it kind of re- like rolled into it, and then all of a sudden you realize I've got 20 
homeless people living in my mansion. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, the Manson family, if you've ever been involved in music in any way, like been a part of a scene, if you've ever been really been into any particular kind of music where there's always people coming in and out, there's always this one weird group of people, usually crust punks, mm-hmm. that sidle into the scene. They come in and out. They've always got girls. They've always got drugs. And there's always one weird charismatic guy at the front of it all and usually they just kind of come in you fuck a couple of the girls they go out they give you some acid it's fine and that one weird guy a little unpredictable you just kind of put off with them that's what charles manson was to everyone in the music scene he was just right. this weird little guy with all of the chicks and all of the drugs just showing up and having a good time every once in a while he'll he'll pull out a knife Sure. And he'll wave it and around. He'll wave you know, it around. But that's a to. part of what it is. That's a part yeah. of what his mystique is. Yeah. Right. That he's a, and everyone knows that he's a criminal, and everyone knows that he's been in prison most of his life. But he's sort of comical. Yeah, but he's sort of, yeah, he's yeah, like, because he's five foot four. Right, exactly. <laughs> Everyone's looking at this guy. He's like, what's this guy going to do? Because he's going like, yeah, man, ha, ha, I, right. I rode a spider here today. And he's like, what are you? Are you fucking, Probably like, you're yeah. a Lilliput? From your grave. So when we last left Jim Jones, he had just founded People's Temple, giving a name to an organization whose membership would fluctuate from dozens to thousands over its 23-year existence. But in 1955, Jonestown was still a long ways away. It would take years for Jim Jones to build it. But as we talked about last episode, he'd already figured out the basics by 1955. He Hmm. just needed to take it to the next level. Remember this. When you start your cult... The big thing is patience. Right. <laughs> you have to drop seeds early. Yeah. It takes a long time. You got to build in generations. These are the people. This is why things last a long time. This is right. why Scientology is still going on. It's because it's deep-seated. It takes it. So just give it that, mm, give it that slow cook. And remember, time <laughs> keeps on ticking into the future a little faster <laughs> than you. you might expect. So Thank don't you for, make I mis- almost forgot about Steve Miller. I know. Miller. I know you did. <laughs> you almost forgot those sage words from Steve Miller band. Absolutely. <laughs> but don't make your doomsday date too early. That's what Um Shinrikyo made the mistake of. 92 was right around the corner. Yeah. They should have pushed that to like 2025. Push it into the future. Build it up and say, oh, there's right. going to be a lot of shit. Well, that was actually one of the genius things of Jim Jones is he never actually put a doomsday date on his own cult. He put doomsday dates around him, but he never put one on the cult itself. With him, as we'll see, if you follow Jim Jones, you avoid the doomsday date. Oh. Now, one thing that's important to know is that a large part of the People's Temple membership always was and always would be elderly women. He's rolling in it. At some point, do you think Jim Jones like looked out at the crowd and was just like, I've done it. Finally. Look at all of this crepe paper skin. I love looking at every single human being here whose arms I could break if I flick their wrists with the strength of flicking a sugar packet. Oh, God. You just reminded me of that story of my friend who worked in the nursing home. Ah. And the, the patients would get their skin snagged on, like, random, like, I don't know why there were nails hanging out and stuff. <laughs> then it would just peel right off their body, like, yeah, just as you said, paper machine. So many congressmen and senators are in their 70s right now. Oh, yeah. It's so easy to just take them out in the White House by just by getting a Zamboni and just driving through Congress and just sweeping them up with the sweepers. They'd yes. fall apart. They literally would they would turn into like pulled pork. That would be a good scene from Scream Queens, hey. which people reminded oh. me of on Twitter. Well, all of this, this all owed to the way that Jim Jones was able to ingratiate himself with old people. And so one of the People's Temple's first altruistic projects was taking elderly congregants into the personal home of Jim and Marceline. Hmm. And eventually that endeavor grew to 
several nursing home facilities in corporation size. It was they were good. They were good nursing homes. They worked really hard at making them super high quality. Yeah, they were quality nursing homes. And it's this like work- uh, what nursing homes is to uh, Jim Jones is what nursing what Magic Johnson was to car washes. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> he franchised. Also, a very convenient aspect of the nursing home angle is that what he would do with these old people is that he would get them to give them the leases to their homes, mm. and then he would take their homes and absorb all their assets. So it's it's a really fast uh. way to get money. Is it just to adopt an old woman, especially she's like 95 to 97? Right. She's not going to be around for that long. She's not even going to know you're not wiping her ass anymore. You leave her <laughs> up in the closet until she's gone, and then you get all her stuff. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> Did you learn nothing from Billy Madison? <laughs> that's Ben Stiller's approach. Oh, happy, happy, happy Gilmore. Happy I'm Gilmore, sorry. Not Billy oh, Madison. Goodness. <laughs> well, that's one of the ways that this whole nursing home thing worked for Jim Jones. The other ways that they took care of the elderly and so they gained the community's trust. Mm. And three, it gave members of the People's Temple jobs. Together, these three things, the money, the jobs, and the community care would be integral to the development of People's Mm. Temple both in Indianapolis and beyond. Jim also founded a soup kitchen type cafe called the Free Restaurant, which served about 2,800 people every week. Wow. He organized clothing drives and he put together youth programs that kept kids off the streets. Huh. He was doing good work, and it was a lot of hard work. And he uh, realizes, and so that's where these games start playing out, right? Where it's in the end, again, this looks totally kosher. This looks great. Right. So like, he's trying to help humankind, and he is helping humankind. And a lot of it is genuine. But the problem is it's so small. It's yeah. just a small amount of people he's reaching, and this is still just shitty indie. You know what I mean? He needs to figure out. I don't he, think he, that that's the official slogan of Indianapolis. <laughs> not for, not for me. I, we had a great <laughs> time in Indianapolis. <laughs> we loved the city. We loved Indianapolis. We went to CrimeCon there. It was wonderful. <laughs> it was actually surprisingly beautiful. It was yeah. a beautiful town. But, you know, yeah, as positive all, all, as all this was, as Henry said, like this was all small fries. Jim actually won political influence. Right. And the person to help him there was Marceline. So you're telling me the way to get political power in this country is not embracing older African-American women? That's not that's not the road to the White House in this country? It doesn't country? seem like it. Yeah, well. serving free soup doesn't get you there, except for Bernie Sanders, who just ate a lot of free soup. For, oh, yeah, a lot of it. And it is now, by the way. Look at Alabama. We won't go into it. <laughs> See, at first, Jim Jones didn't necessarily have a talent for civics. He was a little coarse. He didn't necessarily know how to move in those social circles. But luckily for him, his wife had grown up in a politically active family. That's right. She was sent as a scout to various civic meetings across Indianapolis, taking notes on policy, decorum, and who the local movers and shakers were. Well, I honestly believe that he specifically chose Marceline as his wife because of this fact. Right. That back in the day, it seemed more like, oh, they were in love. She was kind of the hot nurse. He was the 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 fun nurse that made sponge baths <laughs> fun. And it was like, but I, it, it's she. He saw those qualities, I think, and knew that right. she came from a civic background. And as all these things kind of came together, he was like, ah, yes, the re- your purpose has been revealed to me. Mm-hmm. And then and she just fit right in because she was. I, I think she was excited to be a part. Of the entire movement, she she yeah. liked all of the volunteering. She loved the nursing home. She took she personally was in charge of a lot of this, like yeah. June and Johnny Cash, June <laughs> the establishment, Johnny the rebel. But who did the audience relate to, Mister Cash? So after Marceline went to all these meetings, she'd report back to Jones, and then when Jim Jones himself showed up to the next meeting days or weeks later, he knew what to say, how to say it, and who to say it to, instantly giving him credibility. 
but politics wasn't the only place where Jim Jones had his attention in the mid to late 50s. That's when he discovered Father Divine, Uh-oh. a.k.a. The Messenger, a.k.a. Reverend Major Jealous Divine. Yeah, Is he yeah, a WWE yeah. manager? <laughs> he does. He, you know, because you have to be, to name yourself Jealous Divine, Ooh. you have to be very, very confident. Well, the, I love it. Yeah, I mean, his, uh, his logic for calling himself Jealous was, uh-huh. I am a jealous God. Oh. And so he said that, that God's name is Jealous. And so God's name, if jo- God's name is Jealous, then my name is Jealous. You call me Reverend Major Jealous Divine. Why do I have a feeling this guy has an assistant solely to rub butter on his feet? <laughs> I feel like this is going to come get- rub butter on my feet. You know I call them loaves for a reason. Someone, <laughs> so hard at that, how I punish these big cracked feet by jamming them into these shoes. <laughs> how does this get me closer to God again, uh, Mr. Jealous? Rub the feet and you'll see, my friend. <laughs> Jim Jones pretty much stole Father Divine's entire act and repackaged it, sort of like what Elvis did with oh. black R&B stars. Okay. With what a lot of white people did with a lot of black people's stuff. That and is what, true. And what Orion did to Elvis. <laughs> Remember Orion? Very oh, famous. Orion, Orion was great, but Orion, it was different. It was different. Yes, it was <laughs> I, different. I really think it's true. Where Jim Jones sort of was, I mean, Jim Jones obviously is the garage rock of cult leaders. He no. has taken all of these things. I, I is would that say a bad that thing he, or a good thing? He took. It's a good thing. He well, for for cult leaders. So it's a bad thing <laughs> for the rest of us. But he was a, a guy that he invented a lot of the stuff that we're going to see became the trope of the cult leader. But mm. what we're actually going to see is that he, most of those turns, the classic cult leader turns, he stole from Father Divine. Okay. Like, it's like Father Divine was doing this since the 20s, and he figured out a long time ago how to manipulate a group of people into doing things that they didn't want to do. He's yeah. taking it to the next level, though, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Jim Jones is the Elvis of cult leaders. This okay. guy took it worldwide. Okay. Everyone knows who Jim Jones is. Yeah. Just like everyone knows who Elvis is. I heard that. Very good, Marcus. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> so, yeah, since 1919, Father Divine, he'd run the kind of figurehead-centric, black-and-white, integrated kind of cult that Jim Jones was aspiring to. Mm. Divine, he ran a tight ship on his compound. He had successfully convinced his followers that he was God on Earth huh. and... He had his pick of female followers. Nice. Divine had such a hold on his congregation that when his wife, Penaniah, called... Wait, what was that? Penaniah. Penaniah? Penaniah is a cool name. You gotta go to the doctor. Uh, That that is a diagnosis. Very, very funny. I've never heard that name before. I think it's Penaniah. Penaniah? It's either Penaniah or Penaniah. Okay. Or it's Penaniah. Penaniah. It could be Penaniah. Penaniah. I have no idea. But they called her Mother Divine. And when she died in 1942... Father Divine replaced her with a 21-year-old Canadian named Edna Richings, saying that his wife had jumped bodies from an elderly black woman to a supple young white one, and Mm. nobody said anything. You have to be pretty good at talking (laughs) to do that. Especially talking to that Edna girl who's just like, so I'm who now? You're my wife. Uh, Well, it's like the spirit jumped into you and now you're my wife. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't, but I'm just happy to be someplace that's not backwards-ass Canada. 
<laughs> oh my! It's like the movie Little Nicky, <laughs> jumping bodies. Well, she was his personal secretary. Oh, okay. and so I think that they possibly had a relationship going on before Mother Divine died, and then when Mother Divine died, that's when she jumped bodies over to this other girl, Edna, huh. and Edna got the name of Sweet Angel Divine. Cool. I'm just gonna say I hope that Travis understands that one day when Marcus leans over. After maybe maybe the some time in the past, and you'd be like, you know, Travis, uh, I had a dream last night that Carolina jumped into you. <laughs> I don't really understand the sleeping with your secretary. Yes. <laughs> Travis, of course, a longtime producer here at the Last Podcast Network. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 